0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Chattanooga, Tennessee, it's time for Chattanooga Business Radio. Now, hear your Business Radio X host.
1: Lee Cantor here in Chattanooga, broadcasting live from the incubator. And uh, I'd like to jump in with our first guest who happens to be the Director of Small Business and Entrepreneurship here at The Incubator, Catherine Foster. Welcome, Catherine.
0: Good morning. How are you?
1: I am doing great. It's been a great day so far. We got to interview um, several of the businesses here in town. And uh, I'd like to talk about what you're up to and how you're serving the Chattanooga community.
0: Well, uh, we are an incubator that works with small businesses for the first three years of their uh, startup phase, and we provide services and resources so they can be successful. Now, um, how long has the incubator been around? Well, we've been here since 1988, so this is our 26th year. And do you know about how many businesses have been incubated? As a matter of fact, we've we have successfully graduated about five hundred and thirty businesses into the community over the last almost three decades. Now, is this a a,
1: a government program, or is this in the private companies, or is it a combination?
0: Well, it is a combination. It is a collaborative effort between the Chamber of Commerce and the city and the county and so many wonderful partners in our community that are feeders for small business, like the Tennessee Small Business Development Center, which is here in our building. They provide council and business planning and hundreds of, of classes throughout the, the year, um, and so many other organizations, the Chattanooga Technology Council, CoLab, um, just, you know, so, so, so very many. Now, it's
1: kind of a neat premise in that it, it, you don't necessarily have to be a technology company to incubate here, do you?
0: No. Uh, as a matter of fact, over the last five years, uh, we have really uh, changed our uh, our profile of our group of companies that have been in the incubator. And uh, many of them now are technology companies, where we, d- we really had mostly manufacturing and service companies before. Now we primarily have um, uh, manufacture. well, just a few manufacturing companies, service and technology-based companies. So I would say at least a third of our population is technology
1: and then what does it take for a business to get into the program?
0: Well, there is a vetting process. We'd like to see a full business plan with three years of projections, of uh, course a license. Uh, we'd like you to meet with the Tennessee Small Business Development Center and go through their business orientation so you have a good understanding of all the resources that they have up there uh, for for your um, use. And um, we would like you to of course have your your business already set up it needs to be you know legally um
1: it has to be a business like it can't be just hey i have an idea right. for this thing and a I, hobby right and i've been selling stuff on ebay
0: no it can't, can't be like that it needs to needs to be uh revenue based
1: and then um when they come in here you mentioned a three-year period of time that they are allowed to be here is that and then they graduate is that how it works
0: that's correct uh it needs to be it's based on. Uh, it's based on financial stability.
1: Mm-hmm. So then you're, uh, so you're checking with the, it's not like once they join, then they're in and you ignore them. They're kind of mentored right. and, yes. and helped throughout the whole right. process. We,
0: we definitely want to keep tabs on mm-hmm. them and, and provide them resources during their stay here. So whether that is um, marketing plans or business relationships um help with with quickbooks training whatever that is and that you know it could be any number it could be you know any hundreds of things uh we're we're here to help them through that now so
1: what if they're in a like they're having problems do you come in and help them solve the problems or that you know part of a startup environment is that a lot of them don't make it
0: Well, yes, we we help find those resources to help them solve those problems. And and quite frankly, uh, folks in an incubator are typically going to have about an 87% uh, chance of success. Um, Out in the real world, they are probably going to have a 50% chance or less of success. And here in our incubator, we run about a 92% success rate. And then,
1: do you, what do you attribute that to?
0: Uh, I would say that we attribute that to a good developmental program and all the uh, opportunities here in Chattanooga that we've got for uh, so many different uh, places to be able to get help. I mean, this is a, a great area for entrepreneurship and and that that climate, that help that we we just have a an, an excellent community that really supports entrepreneurship. Now, are you
1: finding that because you have so many um, businesses in the the, kind of in the same stage that there's a lot of collaboration and, um, you know, kind of peer to peer interaction that helps them grow?
0: Absolutely. When uh, no matter if they're hanging drywall or doing 3D printing, they still have to understand uh, taxation and HR challenges and QuickBooks and all that good stuff. So it, it doesn't matter what the practice is. They still have to understand the, the principles of business. So um, working side by side with other people that are in the same uh, exact place in their development of business is is really important. And I, th- I think that that's why it is so, um, you know, such a, a valuable opportunity for them to be able to start here in the incubator.
1: And when they start, here, do you find that when they do
0: graduate, they still stay connected to it in some manner? Oh, most definitely. I think that they learn to access resources while they're here. You know, sometimes if they're out there on an island, so to speak, it's they they because they don't know what they don't know, uh, so it you know they don't reach out and try to you know get the the uh, answers to questions that they don't understand. So, you know, they, they just unfortunately, you know, kind of fall through the cracks and and fail. And a lot of times they're using other people's money, bank money. You know, sometimes it's even leveraging their house or using their 401ks. But um, if they are side by side with a lot of other people in their same position, um, they talk and they – They uh, learn from one another and end up doing business with one another.
1: Right. I would imagine that that happens because who better to do business with than the person that's three doors down, right? Most
0: definitely. (laughs) And since we are a mixed-use facility, if you need practically any service, you can find it here. We are the largest incubator in the state and the third largest in the country. And... um the the largest in the state. Now, how did that come about? Well, uh fortunately, we've got a rather large building. It's 127,000 square feet. Typically, the average incubator is about 30,000 square feet. So
1: you can just hold more people.
0: That's right. well, we can we can hold a lot of people. Yes. Um uh typically the average incubator has about 17 clients and we've got room for our 84. Many of our clients here have multiple spaces multiple suites because they've, they've grown. Um, and, um, we we've, we've just, it, it's a, it's a big monster to, to, to manage, but it is, uh, it has been fantastic to be able to, uh, be able to hang on to that, that size incubator. And it's really, you know, we've seen other you know, similar type organizations opening up around town. So there's, there's definitely a need for that here in our community. Now, as the director
1: of small business and entrepreneurships, you probably uh, learned some interesting stuff. Do you have any tips for startups with do's and don'ts?
0: <laughs> Definitely plan uh, and plan to work hard.
1: So that's that's a mistake. Then uh, people are making. They think they can just wing this or learn as they go. That you have to have some organized kind of a roadmap of where you'd like to go before you sh- begin.
0: Of course, of course. We would never get into our car and just like hope just that drive. We just drive. <laughs> That's right. You you need to have a plan. You've got to watch the cash flow. Uh, surround yourself with smart people. Most entrepreneurs that I have met are courageous and smart and savvy. Anyway, but they they you know they need to you know kind of slow down and plan and just watch that cash flow.
1: Now, uh, do you guys? have a curriculum of teaching a certain type of, uh, methodology in order to incubate here? Like for example, like the lean startup methodology. Uh,
0: you know, we have so many different types of business and, and so many different levels of business acumen that, uh, the folks that are in here, um, come to us with that there, it's very difficult to have one particular, uh, style or program. So, uh, we've got a lot. Uh, we, we can pretty much take anybody at any level that they are, are in. For instance, uh, tomorrow we will have a 3D or 3D seminar on, on 3D printing. Yes. Um, and it's beyond the hype, uh, 3D printing. And, uh, that of course is very cutting edge. And, um, so we'll be going over, uh, at more of a high level, um, the ins and outs and myths of 3d printing. And, and, we've got some very exciting 3d printing companies here in our building, So we'll be talking about that.
1: And that's, um, it's, is that a workshop? Is it just, um, education? Is there a networking element to it? What, what's going to happen on that day?
0: Well, it's, it's definitely educational and it's definitely uh, networking. So we'll have an, an expo where we'll have some 3D printers set up and some vendors that will, will be showing off their, their products, uh, to people that are interested in coming by and, and really getting, you know, they can put their hands on that kind of thing. And then we'll have panel discussions where we'll have companies that are actually using those 3D printers in their business and, um and you know folks that are um, selling that, those different types of um, machinery and uh, able to talk about uh, what's coming up, you know, the the, the the challenges and the opportunities that are um, in that,
1: In that space. So there's uh, this isn't just for the person that is curious about it, which they would benefit from probably learning about the industry and what's in store and what's up ahead, but it's also for the people that are in it, they can learn some new stuff that's going on as well.
0: That's correct. It just... It increases the awareness and understanding of additive manufacturing among the regional manufacturers. And it's called 3D Printing Beyond the Hype, and that'll be here at the incubator all day,
1: Friday, August 21st, right?
0: That's correct, from 9 to 5 p.m. And
1: um, and that's just an example of one of the many things that you do to serve these startups and these people in the variety of industries that are housed here, right? Yes, sir. And... Um, and it's interesting because you would you could do this 3D printing one day, and then don't you have a lot of people that serve the senior services market? Oh, yes. As, so they could have something like a week later, right? Well, absolutely.
0: <laughs> Next week we've got SCORE coming in, and we're going to be uh, talking about something completely different. And, you know, the week after is mm-hmm. the, the uh, women's conference. So, yes, we've we, uh We do something different all the time.
1: So now, what do you need more of? Because you are a nonprofit, do you need more um, money? Yes. More uh, (laughs) donations? Do you need more companies? You know, enterprise companies to get involved. Uh, Do you need more entrepreneurs to uh, be incubated?
0: Uh, Of course. We. I mean that that is our job is to create jobs. So. Uh, we do need more people that are, are uh, interested in, in taking that risk and, and starting their own company and growing jobs in the Chattanooga region. So, yes, we need more people that are interested in doing that. We need more money to create more programs. We need more people that are going to volunteer and, and help uh, bring their expertise to the people that are in here and mentor to them. Um, there is, there is uh, always need for uh, services and money and, uh, and expertise.
1: Now for you, what is the most rewarding part of your job?
0: Uh, definitely working with the clients. I, I love, uh, the, I love the backstories. Uh, that's gotta be my favorite part of the job is just hearing how people got started and, and, uh, watching them take a dream and bringing it to fruition and seeing them, you know, become millionaires, or uh, at least successful, whatever that success means to them.
1: Now, when a, a person is deciding to get into this, where are you finding, are they young people that this is their first foray into the, the working world? Or is this people who have worked in a maybe a corporate setting and had a dream? Like, what does the typical profile of an entrepreneur look like?
0: Um, the typical profile is courageous, smart, um, and won't take no for an answer. It so, has nothing to do really with age um, or... Gender. Uh, gender or, or, or race, nationality. Right. No, it has nothing to do with that because in the 10 years that I have been doing it, I've seen young and old, male and female, black, white, brown, mm-hmm. whatever, does not matter. Um, it's just somebody that has a dream and is going to make it happen. And they just are smart enough to use the resources that are around them to, um, to be successful and, and work hard and you know, take the stairs and go after it. And you know it's here for the taking. Now, um, if somebody maybe doesn't have
1: their act together to the point of having a business plan, can they still come here to the building and um, say, hey, I've got an idea, but I'm not ready yet? And then you can give them resources to help them maybe get ready?
0: Absolutely. I've worked with companies as long as two years before we've actually put them in the incubator, so we sure can. And if somebody wanted to learn more? They can call us or come by. We're at 100 Cherokee Boulevard on the North Shore, or they can give me a call at 423-752-9406. And website. Our website is the Chattanooga Chamber, that's chattanoogachamber.com. Well,
1: Catherine, thank you so much uh, for being part of the show and for allowing us to broadcast live here from the incubator. It is
0: my pleasure, thank you so
1: much. All right, next up we got Cordell Carter and he is the CEO of TechTown. Welcome Cordell. Thank you, welcome. Tech Town, can you share a little bit? What are you guys up to? Sure. Uh, so
2: Tech Town is a technology and entrepreneurial learning center based right here in downtown Chattanooga. And our mission is to work with young people between the ages of seven and 17, um, give them access to a state of the art facility. Um, and we do STEM as science, technology, engineering, right. arts, and math. Um, give them more career awareness of like what's possible in the technology industries and and more importantly train them we believe that talent will change uh, the order of the day will change people's lives will give them opportunity didn't heretofore have and so we focus on training them giving them opportunities to learn robotics coding uh, to make their own film to uh, just whatever they're passionate about go for it
1: and um, how'd you get into this
2: well, I've been in the education sector about 8 years. Um I came here from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and I just saw this as a tremendous opportunity to have real impact. Um one of the things I learned uh, over the last 8 years working with different education foundations and school districts is the higher up you go, the further you get away from the people you're trying to impact. <laughs> and so um uh, this uh, opportunity to come to Chattanooga, a place I'd never been before, uh, surrounded by these amazing people, this this innovative community that's really trying to change the narrative on the American South. I just saw it as a, a once in a lifetime opportunity. And as I tell folks, I've been here nine and a half months and the last time I worked was nine and a half months
1: ago. <laughs> now um so are you working like with the school system or this is individual kids, there are parents that say, hey my kids should do this after school? Or how does it work?
2: It's all of that. Um, so, we we are engaging schools directly, I'm a 30 mile radius, uh, talking directly with school districts about field trips, about um, learning partnerships, uh, working with robotics teams um, as we prep more young Chattanoogans uh, for robotics competitions all over the Southeast. Uh, We're also a fair amount of, I would say probably 60% of the folks that are interacting with Tech Town are parents who found us on the web, found us on Twitter, um, love what we do, and they want their young innovator to get more training. Mm -hmm. And so we just finish our summer camps. Uh, three weeks ago, we had five weeks of summer camps. So we were expecting about 500 kids. We had 700 plus, wow. and uh, kids from all over, from as far as uh, Vermont, uh, Shreveport, Louisiana, a lot of Birminghamians—I don't know what that <laughs> means—Atlantans, uh, um, Nashvilleans, and folks from Franklin. But basically, a two-mile radius. We were getting a lot of young people, right? Uh, in, in addition to Walker County, Dade County, Northwest Georgia, and then Chattanooga, of course.
1: Now um the camps are those the kind of the Priority for Tech Town, or is it after school stuff
2: throughout the year? After school is actually the the main thrust of our existence. Well, after school, that's actually a misnomer because we are open all day. And so we uh, open a facility up for homeschoolers and for specialty workshops during the day. Field
1: trips, field
2: trips during the day. And then after school, starting around four o'clock, we have these monthly learning adventures. And that is when we're really say hey, there's 150 spots for the voyage to Pluto in September. And so that work will launch after Labor Day this year. We're in the process. Process of cleaning up and building uh, that those learning materials now solidifying some of the partnerships that we have in various states of negotiation, and so yeah, camp ended three weeks ago, but we've been nonstop.
1: Now, what is um, your thoughts on why kids aren't embracing STEM? Just on their own through the, like, public school system?
2: You know, I think it's a broader critique on the way we educate. Um, if, you know, just imagine, you know, your parents saying, you shall, you will, you must. Um, that's not something you necessarily want to do. It may be something you should do. But it's like, well, you know, you're making me do it, therefore I lack passion for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, at TechTown, we say, look, what are you passionate about? We ask questions first. We're like, okay, great. You want to do robotics? Here, here's a robot. Try that. Did you like that? Okay, let's learn how to code it. Mm-hmm. OK, oh, you code it. Let's do some conditional statements. Uh, OK, that's great. Let's try something else. And so we're, we're constantly pushing them to follow things that they want to do. So as long as the learner think they're in charge of the experience, they'll go deeper. And that's the biggest difference. Uh, schools are not traditional schools are not learner driven environments. <laughs> uh, these are instructional environments environments right and I'm, I'm instructing you to a certain objective and i have to that's the environment they're existent i'm talking about teachers they're in a lot of pressure right i mean there's folks. test
1: scores uh, or all these things that you know uh, the thing that is amazing to me is in technology the kids are the biggest users of technology they yeah. were born using yeah. technology and it's we're literally
2: asking children to turn off that part of the brain to sit and do the stand and deliver the same way my grandmother taught children of sharecroppers a mm-hmm. hundred years ago and the fact that my eight year old is being instructed in the same way.
1: At right. Does, incredible
2: price at that private school drives me insane. And
1: especially you have all this technology <laughs> in their hands. Exactly. And, and s- a lot of times the school says, no, you're not allowed to use that. Right.
2: And <laughs> they, the reason they're doing that is because as a teacher, like I'm responsible for certain standards. I'm responsible for certain modules. We have to cover these things. And if I can't figure out how to use this device to help me get to that place I have to go, then i'm not going to do it I, I that's a rational choice our job at tech town is to make sure that that teacher understands how to use his device to deliver right. the content he or she has to deliver and so they see this as additive to their instructional practice not something that they have to do on top of everything right. or else, a or
1: a distraction
2: or a distraction or and, distraction and then you have a lot of i mean there's some infrastructure issues in 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 k-12 i mean the physical plan i think is your biggest burden for right. get benefits and salaries the physical plan is sad, and some buildings you just can't wire them. Uh, you like, I have an Apple device, I have a, a Windows device, I have all these different devices. Like, okay, what's the, the normalizing device that's gonna give the actually, the platform that's gonna allow me to instruct everyone equally? Right. Um, so even if you had uh, a technically inclined instructor, there's this whole BYOD. Um, issue that you have to deal with and so some of the teacher fellows that we had working with us this summer during summer camp We had teachers from Hamilton County Dade County as part of our team helping us on pedagogy helping us in classroom management They're just better at instructing and so right. they, they make everyone better. They said this is great And I would ask them like well, what would you think they said well? This is awesome, and I would love to do it, but but I can't guarantee all 35 of my kids have a device An every iPad, day. right.
3: Yeah. Now it's what like, do you do?
2: That's why I can't deliver. And I'm like, oh, wow, I thought that we would be able to uh, pass on some best practices <laughs> that you learn, Like, just do this in your classroom. They would if they had the devices, but right. they don't. And that's a dilemma facing every single school in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few private schools that have great devices, but are the teachers trained to use it in the the best way and so there's always gonna be that extra question and we're just trying to provide some answers um not the best answer but an answer
1: now um how has it been you mentioned this uh, getting instructors from around the area are there enough instructors uh, it or is that of one topic. of your challenges?
2: It, it is a challenge, especially for uh, uh, the coding camps that we did. Mm-hmm. We did a Java for Minecraft. And so, you know, of course, people see Minecraft like, oh, I'm going to play games. Oh, right. no, no. <laughs> We're going to code Java. Yeah, you learn syntax for three days. There's
1: a consumer and a creator. Exactly. You're not going to wear your creator hat.
2: Well, exactly. Mm-hmm. And like, and frankly, the first thing we say is, you know, welcome to the creative class. You are no longer a passive consumer of devices. You are, you're going to build things here. That's right. what we do at Tech Town. And so... We had to go to UTC, Tennessee Tech, to find folks at New Java, and knew it well enough to instruct others on how to use and
1: especially it, especially a child, especially yeah, because that's
2: a different type of instruction. Right. And uh, you talk about uh, different people, right? You you have folks that are serious coders and um, kids that are serious gamers, and you know <laughs> it was a very interesting experience. We got through it; mm-hmm. it was our most popular camp, and we'll absolutely continue doing Minecraft events every month. But we want to really focus on creating the gaming environment. Like the big thing they did this summer was cheese. Now I, I, you know, I eat cheese. I thought they were talking about things that I know. I don't, I don't know Minecraft. Right. But cheese is a big deal in Minecraft. And it gives you extra life, and the fact that they were creating something that did not exist—that was the light bulb moment for them. Right. And so you're seeing the, the same kids coming back to the Minecraft camp they did a week before. I'm like, "You're back. You don't want to do something different? <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> I want to work on cheese.
1: Deep dive. And I want to go. I want to make <laughs> right. cheese
2: out of dirt. And I'm going cheese out of gold. <laughs> right. And I'm going to my cheese turn into gold. But they—they they, that switch happened for them. They no longer am I playing this game. I am creating. The, I am God as it relates to that game. That's right. And so we want. That's the switch we want to happen for everyone, be it right. 3D printing or robotics. Like, you are not there to just use something. You're there to create something. Mm-hmm. And that's the switch we have to happen. I mean, that's if and you the, look at the value chain of any city, you know, and, or any country, any, the economy, and like, okay, who's building it? Who's consuming it? Right? Right. Uh, You want to be the folks at the top of that chain that are building it. Because that's where all the profit margins are.
1: Now, um, are you seeing anything regarding gender? Because there's a big drop-off in adults for women in technology. Mm -hmm. Do you see that as children? Or Uh, or it doesn't become um, evident at that age?
2: We did see it. We were just going through our stats um, the other day for a funder. Uh, For the younger kids, we call them kilobytes. Between the ages of 7 and 10, you had far more gender balance. Uh, It was about... uh, 48 percent women or girls to 52 percent boys right. when you got to the older um the of from minecraft so instance. now at 11 this is uh, you know 12 11 to 17 if you will right uh, it was um, dramatically different it was more like 70 percent uh boys 30 percent girls uh but if you looked at robotics just that as a group it was almost 55
1: that was 50 50 you
2: look at film That was almost 50 50 right um in some weeks it was more girls than uh, boys and especially when you add the uh, performing arts piece to it we Mm -hmm. have a a theater right in front of the building a cultural arts center um, when you first come in and i looked in a room there were four boys in the room and 21 girls (laughs) right and so i was talking to the gentlemen that were gaming i said you all might want (laughs) to different story so uh we are being very, very explicit in our outreach to young girls. Um, why see why do
1: you think that, uh, I've seen the same thing, we do a lot of work with women in technology mm-hmm. groups, and um, at that age, they say that that's that kind of point of inflection when yes. girls are like, I don't do science, yes, or I don't know what happens mm-hmm. um, in their... Kind if of, something happens in middle school. right?
2: Um, in fact, I mean, not just for STEM, but for um, high achievement. Like, I'm going to be a Siri student, or I'm going to be cool.
1: Right. I'm going to be cool and popular or I'm going to be... Uh, exactly. Right. And
2: so and it, it's a shame that people with brains aren't fully developed have to make decisions that won't pack them for the rest of their life. Right. That's a shame. That's a tragedy. However, um, our job is to be great advocates for girls in stem um, we've done a lot of outreach to women that are in technology here in the city said so we just want you on film we just want you in front of our girls come to a tour right. talk to them talk look up, look over their shoulder as they're coding um, proud to state that very last week of uh, 2d not 2d but um, Java from Minecraft we had about 10 more girls than we expected mm-hmm. and they all sat together and they were just they just did their thing and it was great right. um, so uh, there was a lot of work to do in that space I think with some very targeted events you know um, their daughter technology camps. right? I is think there an opportunity?
1: Time. As this worked well for the group that we work with, um, is job shadowing is to to put um, women in technology with girls oh, yeah. to show a role model, to show a path that you can still be cool and successful and follow this path.
2: Absolutely. That's absolutely there. I mean, we, we see part of our, our mission is to be great conveners. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we have this, this fantastic facility. It's, it's literally one of a kind. The same furniture you would see at Facebook or Google you have right here at downtown Chattanooga, and that's very purposeful so that you don't have to go to California to, to do something amazing. To get amazing. this experience, right. You can build something amazing right here in your hometown, great cost of living, and, and go rock climbing on the weekends. And so uh, we see that as a great draw to bring folks in, um, and we can be very specific like we're focused on future talent um your current talent let's talk to these young girls let's tell them what you do explain you know how great your role is uh and the steps you took to get to where you are
1: and to see it's possible this is an impossible dream absolutely now um what's next for you guys what do you guys
2: well we roll out our full our fall program um, right after Labor Day is this the
1: first fall program this is the first
2: fall program right. uh, believe it or not we're we're literally eight weeks in right uh, five weeks of that <laughs> we're, we're summer camp and so uh, the team is just taking a breather right now people are you know like work,
1: regrouping what we learn regrouping, what we do what better we learn. right
2: absolutely I and mean, frankly going through our stats how well they we perform right. and all that good stuff and looking at the survey results and the parents we know some things that weren't really well some things we could use a lot of improvement right. on and so as we build out you know september adventure and then the fall camp starting in october uh, and then leading on to some holiday events we'll be doing around certain themes you know there's a big star wars film coming out and so we'll definitely be doing something around star wars and something around halloween mm-hmm. uh, we'll get a, a good like easing into the night if you will as we ramp up uh for 2016 and uh, just full bore all the way through the year
1: now have you found that uh, you mentioned some the schools and some of the universities helping in terms of um educators are you finding that the, the companies here are embracing Tech Town and getting involved and giving you an opportunity to kind of use them and leverage their talent as well as maybe what their their work that they're doing?
2: Absolutely. In fact, we're, we're looking to get a lot of the um, companies involved in uh, curriculum and instru- in, 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 in right. instruction.
1: So that, that's, I think, uh, one of the challenges for even universities is they're not working closely enough with the corporations mm-hmm. in order to kind of create a, a employee Exactly. <laughs> at the end of the day, you yeah. know, instead of having now the company get these people out of college where now they got to retrain them to do what they need to, to have done at their
2: right. You know. Right. In, in fact, I mean, it's it's actually worse than you're describing it. I mean, the the, uh, the misalignment between what's happening in K twelve and higher ed and what's expected in the workplace is, is fairly dramatic. When I used to be a lobbyist uh, on education workforce years mm-hmm. ago in D C, these are type of issues we talked about every single day. And right, hear, these
1: are all groups that should be working hand in hand. Uh, absolutely, it, they shouldn't be siloed off and have their own agendas that. You know, it just.
2: I agree, and so I, I always like to employ what I call my Clintonian strategy. Like, what's the third way? Right. That third way is equipping someone for post-secondary success, whatever that looks like. Right. And so, you know, you know, I'm, you can either build a portfolio for a job at 15, because frankly, it becomes a binary response: Can you code? That's a job interview. Can you code?
1: Right. Great. Show I- me. And right. they don't care if you went to Harvard. They don't care if
2: you're 15 <laughs> right? or 55. If you can code, can there's code.
1: negative exactly. unemployment rate for coders. Yeah,
2: so you, you talk about transformation. How do you want to change a neighborhood block by block?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Let little Johnny, who uh, was expecting to uh, just get a job somewhere after high school, all of a sudden earning a living as a high school student, um, doing something different from the guys in the corner. Right. And the, the transformation inside his own home as he becomes um, master of his own fate. Mm-hmm. The transformation of people, in his peer group, people who know him, like, well, you know, Johnny, he's the real deal. He's working a gig tank downtown. That's right. This guy, he's, a, he's an advisor there. He's coding stuff. And then he says, well, I have options now. Yeah, I can go to higher ed. I can also just work full time. That's right. And I get to make that choice. It doesn't get made for me. That's right. So that's transformational. That changes entire neighborhoods. And it's
1: a mindset that they don't even see that as a possibility. Just to give them that, to open their mind that that's even yeah. a choice. Absolutely. It's kind Absolutely. of... Mind-boggling. And we,
2: we see what happens in one week. We go from what we call a hard-coding something, like you know, we do this human coding exercise, where you start with, okay, walk 25 paces straight, okay? And per- person walking, when they hit a wall, they just start marching in place, okay? Right. And then you, you go from that to say, okay, um, walk until you see blue. Now you have to do integrated circuitry, right? That's right. And so you're flashing blue tape under a robot, and it turns. <laughs> And so these if-then, that's also basic algebra. Right. Okay, if you can do a conditional statements. But that is the basis for any program you create, if something happens, then something d- else has to happen. Exactly. So if they can get that in a week, imagine what they can do in a year. Right. So that that's the the, the potential for TechTown. I want to produce a lot of fifteen and sixteen year olds from East Chattanooga that are marching down the Innovation Zone, jobs in hand, parent permissionship in the other, making things happen right now.
1: Right. Or forget jobs in hand; they're creating their own jobs. Exactly. Their, their own companies.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> so if somebody wants to learn more website
2: for you go
1: and then is this a national thing or is this just chattanooga right we now? have
2: national aspirations in fact we have a team that's in portland i'm sorry st louis um i'm sorry louisville, louisville kentucky today uh it was in portland oregon last week uh we're getting entreaties from nashville they were in nashville earlier last week yeah early part of last week um as far as norfolk virginia uh, Seattle, Tacoma, um, we're so, focused on Chattanooga right now though.
1: So Chattanooga is kind of where you're going to build the model.
2: We are building a national organization out of Chattanooga
1: and go techtown.org. You can go there, learn more. And if you're interested in another city, you'd be open to having conversations with that person. If they Absolutely. wanted to kind of be, you know, spearhead.
2: Oh, folks find me. I don't have to go look for exactly. them. They find they're finding us. Absolutely.
1: Well, thank you so much for being part of the show today. Thank you for having me. All right. Next up, we have Don Jacobson. He is with Newcomb Spring Corp. Welcome, Don. Well,
4: thank you very much, Lee. I appreciate that.
1: Uh, why don't you share a little bit about Newcomb Spring Corp? What are you guys up to? Well, Newcomb Spring
4: is a spring maker. Uh, we're a manufacturer.
1: That's a sexy industry.
4: Right? We are. <laughs> it is. It's uh it, it is when you bring your uh, your son to Home Depot and you go, hey, <laughs> hey, that tractor you just rode on yet, yeah, Daddy helped make that. <laughs> hey, that chainsaw over there. Hey, guess what? Daddy helped make that. There's
1: springs and things. Probably the average person doesn't realize. There's it's springs, true. It's right? true.
4: I mean, most people when they they hear springs, they think either ballpoint pens, spring water, or mattresses. <laughs> I've got one of those called.
1: <laughs> so now, um, where are some of the places springs are in?
4: Now, for us, uh, we are a local manufacturer here in Ottawa, right outside Chattanooga. Uh, we've got nine other, uh, nine facilities totaled across the U.S. and Canada. We're almost over a hundred years old. Um, you know, I'm proud to say that I'm a fourth generation spring maker. So a long mm-hmm. time ago, my great grandfather snuck out of a spring company with Mr. Newcomb and said, Hey, we can do this ourselves. And they started their own company. Uh, that was in Brooklyn, New York, and they were doing day repairs for the Navy. You know, a ship would come in. There'd be something broke. Uh, They say, hey, we need this now so we can continue on. Uh, They would make those parts for them and get them back up and running.
1: And then how did they um, get to Chattanooga?
4: Well, Chattanooga, uh, the growth strategy was to find markets that had manufacturing. Right now, the South is great. Uh, 48 years ago, the South was, eh, it was okay. Right. Uh, we had a facility in Atlanta and we were very friendly uh, with the previous company that was at our facility, Sanborn Spring. Um, and we ended up purchasing it from him. And true story, when he shook on the deal, he said, okay, here's the keys. This company's yours. That included the cash in the lockbox. That included all the invoices. All right. the, I mean, everything. It was ours. <laughs> he just walked away. And he left. He was like, I'm
1: good. <laughs> all right. So now it's your problem. It is. And then, so then from there you came to Tennessee?
4: Yes, yes. So, uh, you know, I, I've been in Tennessee seven years. Uh, like I mentioned, I'm a fourth generation spring maker. So I've worked in our Connecticut, California, Colorado facility. And now that I have a family with three small children, I couldn't be happier to have it here in Chattanooga. Here in,
1: and... um so now we're let's talk a little bit about your use of 3D printing. 3D printing is a new technology, relatively new.
4: It is. It is the first thing I wanted to say was we don't make our springs using 3D printing. Um <laughs> They can look pretty. We can make them out of orange or blue or white, but uh, that's basically all they, they are. They don't work as well. No, they're just yeah. a, they're just a yeah. paperweight.
1: So that's uh, soon, who knows, right? In the
4: future, <laughs> you never know. Uh, what we're using the 3D printing for is to help us in our quality department. As we've grown, we've kind of gotten into more and more complicated springs. Uh, I mean, you can look, uh, you take your ballpoint pen apart and, you know, there's a little compression spring in there. Uh, you take a Boeing aircraft apart, there's just a little more complicated <laughs> parts in there. So as we're checking to manufacture these parts, whether it's for the guy down the street that needs a part or whether it's for the aerospace industry, the government, the military, uh, Fortune 500 companies, you know, they have different requirements on what they need. And we need to kind of uh, provide the best possible product all the time. So our quality department has asked for new equipment. They want to be able to be at the top of the line. So 3D printing for us allows us to manufacture fixtures. Now when I say fixtures, I mean holders, posts, blocks, V-blocks, things that will hold those springs so that we can continue to check them at a high level repeatedly and very fast.
1: And that's previously, before this, how were you checking them? It was a more complicated,
4: labor-intensive... It was very slow. Um, uh, typically, some of our more complicated springs, you know, you could check five of them in about a half an hour. Now, with our new equipment and utilizing 3D-printed fixtures, we can check those si- same five springs in 35 seconds.
1: Now, what what uh, uh, made you kind of make the leap of, hey, we should try 3D printing to solve this
4: problem? Really, it was... A natural progression for us. We have a lot of great tool makers, guys that can make parts out of steel, and I could go to them and say, hey, can you make me a hole there for this? They go, okay, next week you'll have it. I can't wait a week. <laughs> so we were kind of looking at different ways to, you know, either make them out of Lexan or glue or wood. And, and uh, you know, I can brag about some of my woodworking skills, but... You're going to whittle. yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> they don't like to see me in the office with, uh, you know, my Dremel or my sawzall cutting stuff up. I, I get some dirty looks that way. Right. So, so 3D printing kind of once it became affordable about I'd say three years ago, where you could get kind of a desktop 3D printer, you know, something that's you know three feet by three feet. Uh, you know, we're not looking to make you know life size. You know, human being size parts, you know, we're making small parts the size of your fist, the size of, you know, a plate. So 3D printing worked for us. And And
1: that So then you actually invested in a 3D printer. This isn't something you subcontract. At first,
4: you probably subcontracted out and use somebody else's printer to test this? Well, at first we were, we started making them out of metal, like I said. And so we were, we were familiar with 3d CAD drawing. You mm-hmm. know, I, we have some engineers and, you know, I can say I can make a block or a, a cylinder and, and 3d CAD software, but you know, so we could make what we wanted and we could show people, Hey, this is what we want. And like you said, we could send it to someone else and they can make it for us. We realized that once that price of 3d printing came down, uh, that we should, we should really look at seriously consider getting one. Mm-hmm. So we did. And we partnered with a company here in Chattanooga, Nova Cop- and they did a great job of explaining okay you're you're a beginner. You're like someone <laughs> that could do this at home. You don't need a hundred thousand dollar machine. You don't need a fifty thousand right. dollar machine. You don't you just want to kind of dip your toe in there and make sure this is the right investment for you. So mm-hmm. they worked with us, they trained us, and we were able to import and export our current models into uh, their software. And basically you hit go and you stand back in amazement. You come back a few hours later. So it was like our
1: at first, the first time you did this, so you had everybody just kind of standing around watching it. Yes, <laughs> yes. We were expecting some <laughs> smoke or small fires. It's like a or, magic trick. You know, what, what is going to happen? And it's really not that sexy, <laughs> right? When they're actually...
4: <laughs> no, no. It's it's a slow process. It's like watching
1: a dot matrix printer <laughs> It's from back in the day.
4: It, it, you know, it makes about the same <laughs> noise. It goes...
1: So now, um, so when that first thing got printed... And you grabbed it. Did it fit? Did it work right well, off the bat? Or well, you, I'll, a, I'll be you were on a you. learning yeah. curve? Uh, you know,
4: I'm, I'm, I'm 35 right now, so the, the first thing that we printed was a bottle opener. Um, they had a model for So They said, have a practice. thing. They did. That, they had. A, it's know, be. And of course, what else would I make? You know, I know you led product. with
1: the koozie when you walked in here, yeah, so you know, a bottle I, opener I, makes I, sense. I got
4: it. I got to focus to my target audience. <laughs> um, so it was something that they could print an hour. You know, basically set it up, print something, walk away, give a tour of the shop, come back and hey, look, we got one here. We made something. Um, and then they kind of left us to our own devices. And, you know, we've kind of been using 3D printing for about three years now. And we're on our second machine, the first machine. We realized it had some limitations. We wanted to build it bigger, faster, stronger. Um, so you upgraded. So we upgraded. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. They get you hooked. <laughs> That's right. So now you see this
1: is now, it's just part of the process, 3D printing
4: the, the different um Parts that you need in order to test the springs? It is. And it's kind of weird because we're a job shop. I don't know who's going to walk through the door. Uh, We had an engineer that came on board last year and I said, just because you do something one day, you're not going to do it the next day. Uh, So we'll have Fortune 500 companies call out of the blue. You know, we'll have Rodney from down the street whose tractor broke come in. Um, So I don't know where my day is going to go. But I do know that if I want to provide a high quality product uh, and be able to inspect a thousand ten thousand a hundred thousand parts and make sure that they all meet the customer specification uh 3d printing definitely helps so some days i'll print three fixtures sometimes all week will go by before i print a fixture Mm -hmm. you know that's when i start making more of those uh beer openers openers, that's right (laughs) there's always time to make things.
1: exactly now uh do you have any advice for a company that's looking into 3d printing
4: I would say partner with a, with, with a supplier. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily go buy one on your own and so just kind of wouldn't go on the internet and Google. I wouldn't, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of setup, you know, it, at the end of the day, it's a finely calibrated machine. Um, I'm sure you're well and perfect to buy mm-hmm. one. Um, off the internet and have it home delivered uh i've seen those videos of some of those delivery drivers throwing <laughs> boxes and kicking boxes so just remember that could happen to your you know nice piece of expensive equipment uh for us it makes more sense to have it delivered to a customer or a company here in town they set it up they make sure it works they bring it to us and go okay let's plug it in and let's get down to it um you know and the cost wasn't astronomical but it was definitely the smartest thing we did to get involved Mm -hmm. and then you had actual cost savings right oh my goodness we have saved thousands of dollars if not tens of thousands of dollars because someone like me can not have to bother a highly trained um, mechanical engineer to design something for me in 3d CAD. i can sit down and kind of do it myself now so i just basically put it on a usb drive walk up to the 3d printer hit print walk away come back in the morning and there's my new object you know it's you know an hour or two of time versus having to fabricate something out of a, a piece of steel i uh, have to thread it you know if for some reason some of your measurements were off you know you've wasted six twelve twenty forty hours of work and that's right and you get some dirty looks from the guys and then you could fix it yourself and then it'll be there the next day exactly right. exactly some of the stuff you know it can run in a couple hours some of the more complicated stuff takes four to eight hours so uh you know we're able to you know put something at the the day I watch make sure the first few layers are looking nice and, and smooth and then it's uh, it's it's what I wanted it to be and you know I'll walk away and I'll come back in the morning now how was it difficult to sell it into your company to invest in this it wasn't because we used it as a quality tool mm-hmm. and when you talk about quality you kind of have to say we need to have the best that's not something you want to skimp on right now if I sold this is the something I need in my office to make you know uh, can openers. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have one right now that I could use, but because we've used But they it- bought that quality. Yeah, thing. yeah, lots of quality. <laughs> so they... Uh- It has made a difference, and it's it's kind of funny because we have it in our conference room. It is a show-and-tell piece where we can show people how we're utilizing it, and we get a lot of questions, and it's kind of neat. We've seen engineers come in and say, hey, I've heard about it. I've read about it. This is the first time I've actually got to see one in use, use." and they go, wow, this might be something we could use at our company.
1: And it shows that you're a cutting-edge
4: company that's, you know, kind of using yeah. best practices we're, top the, the we're line, definitely right? the cool guys on the street i would say that i mean when you're a hundred year old company you know <laughs> you
1: gotta you, keep it fresh right? you exactly gotta keep it fresh so now uh, i expect you to be working with cordell shortly to get a 3d printing thing going over at tech oh, town
4: oh, oh don't worry i've got a, have uh, got some <laughs> i got some kids over here in town at uh, chattanooga school for liberal arts and we're going to uh, be harassing him to to partner up and do some projects <laughs>
1: looking forward uh, to cordell that. you can handle that 3d printing absolutely
4: we have seven waiting for
2: him
1: oh there we go here we go go. well if somebody wants to learn more about newcomb spring where
4: should they go www.newcomb that's n-e-w-c-o-m-b-s-p-r-i-n-g dot com and then what type of company
1: is the profile of your customer
4: my customer like i said is, is anyone in the manufacturing industry um uh, we do a lot of wire form stampings uh, assembly work you know we're happy to take a look at pretty much anything
1: great well thank you so much for being part of the show today. thank you very much lee all right now we got our headliner from branch technology mr platt boyd how you doing
3: doing fine how are you doing today
1: doing well branch technology can you share a little bit about what you guys are up to
3: Sure. What we're doing is we're taking 3D printing and then combining that with conventional construction materials to enable a new way to construct buildings. So it's large scale 3D printing um, and we use a, a large industrial robot as our movement mechanism. So now
1: like building, what are you defining as a building? like the sears tower
3: not quite (laughs) that big (laughs) a house uh but Uh yes uh commercial construction and housing uh and we've got to go through some testing before we're able to uh have load bearing capabilities uh but our uh build envelope is able to do things that would scale to that level uh even right now
1: so now is it like are you building like kind of lego blocks or is it like big sheets of this how does it work
3: so, what we do is we have um, it's a freeform 3D printer. So, if you're familiar with 3D printing, uh, you know that it builds things up layer by layer. Right. Uh, so, what we do is uh, instead of building things up layer by layer, we it's freeform. So, that it solidifies an open space rather than it having all the support material. And we make a matrix uh, that's somewhat like a cellular structure Mm -hmm. Uh, and then within that cellular structure we add um, conventional construction materials like spray foam or concrete Um, and then on the exterior of that um, pieces like uh, well not pieces but materials like gypsum or on the exterior a stucco or um, you could add brick or siding or whatever other exterior material you would want uh, on that and so Uh, We're using the 3D printing, um, and instead of saying, uh, like most 3D printed objects, they're using exclusively the 3D printed material. Um, We're looking at 3D printing, instead of saying, how much can we 3D print, we're saying, how little can you use this 3D printer? In order
1: to create the strength and support that you need in order to hold up whatever you're trying to hold up.
3: Right. Um, and so the analogy is that of the natural world uh, where uh, material use is at a premium in almost all cases. And so we're trying to minimize that high-strength, high-cost material that is 3D printed and then use other economical materials to fill in the voids and to become the strength and function uh, for that assembly.
1: So like kind of like a spider's web? Where there's big open spaces, and then you could fill the open spaces with other material in order to create the structure? Uh,
3: somewhat like a spider's web, or really, it's like uh, bone, um, or... So if you look at bone under a magnifying glass... You got it. That's it.
1: it. it would, um, or a microscope, it would look kind of like um, this woven material mm-hmm. that's spread apart, but it has a lot of strength.
3: Right. Um, and so... So
1: did you come up with this idea?
3: Uh, yes, this is something that I was an architect, uh, for 15 years in private practice, uh, in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, and I was a partner in a firm there and this idea started. I was working late one Saturday night and, um, then it was reading some articles about 3D printing and seeing how people were beginning to construct buildings using 3D printing and it didn't make a lot of sense, uh, because they were using exclusively that 3D printed material, whether it be concrete or plastic or things like that. Well, we haven't been building buildings with one material since ancient Egypt almost. And so uh, modern buildings come together as composite assemblies of multiple materials. And so it started with a sketch of um, just a, a wall section. And then it... Took about nine months to leave that very solid job. Uh I've got four kids and no a <laughs> wife and everything. So
1: it was so You can't three <laughs> D print money yet, right? <laughs> <laughs> no.
3: Uh so it was a it was a leap uh to leave that and um I had something that weighed a half an ounce, uh that was a matrix that we I had made uh and it supported eighteen pounds of books. And with that, and so you're
1: carrying this around in a briefcase, right? (laughs) (laughs) I
3: was running around airports trying to (laughs) raise investment. You have
1: to see this. uh, How come you don't understand? But it's hard for industry to change, right? Like this, you know, they've been doing things the same way forever. So you're telling them, "Hey, look at it in this different way."
0: Mm -hmm.
3: And so it's the the unique aspect of what we're doing is the freeform um, aspect of the 3d printing. Um, but then also the uniqueness in the construction industry is instead of building things where we harvest a material out of a, a shape, like a a tree that's round. And then we cut square boards out of that. Um, and then we take that to a job site and then we cut those boards down to the size that it, the custom size that it's needed right. on the job site. It's always a reductive process and there's a lot of waste along that, um, uh, the logistics stream. So what we're doing is saying, uh, adding the material only where it's necessary. And by doing that, uh, I've seen some studies where it saves 50%, uh, over a uh, conventional milling or reductive process and of manufacturer 3D printing can save up to 50% of that material. Um, and so it's can be very, very um, impactful on the entire um, material supply chain.
1: And then can't you build, because it's 3D printed in this kind of minimalist manner, can't you build shapes that maybe you couldn't build conventionally?
3: Absolutely. Uh, and that's the exciting thing for me as a designer, uh, is giving a tool set out to designers to say, Come up with what you may, uh, and we'll see if we can build it. And so, the I guess if you look at the grand idea of this, it's beginning to look at how the natural world is made, uh, and the beauty and the order therein, and beginning to translate that into how we can construct buildings. And so, it the possibilities are almost limitless on shape uh, and structural. Uh, capabilities
1: and uh wouldn't it also be that you can work within whatever nature it is has in front of you you can build around that or and utilize that as well right absolutely you know you don't have to you know flatten the ground and build squares and rectangles anymore
3: yeah customization is almost free uh, with 3D printing, and so it's something that it takes some design time, and it takes some scanning and making sure that you know your environment. But f- from there, to do a square, rectangular wall uh, of a certain volume is the same price as one that is looks like somebody's face stuck on the side of right. a building,
1: like an S, and a and a, a flat is the same, right? It mm-hmm. doesn't matter.
3: Mm-hmm. It's absolutely the same based on the material usage is what the cost is based on. Right.
1: not You're not constrained by kind of rectangles and squares anymore. Mm-hmm. So now what stage of a business are you at now? Have you built something, a house or a well, structure?
3: No. Uh, we're a startup. Uh, we began, um, we've been, we were in stealth mode for about two years and we just debuted uh, the business about three weeks ago as a part of GigTank. Wow. Um, and so we went through that and we um, actually were awarded the Investor's Choice Award at that event. I bet at, you were. <laughs> uh, here in Chattanooga. Uh, <laughs> and so that was very, very exciting. And it, it's gratifying now to be able to talk openly uh, about it. And um, so do you
1: have patents? Is that how this, yes. you had to get all that mm-hmm. nailed down?
3: We began that October, I guess the initial application, October of 2013. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was one of the first activities that we did. Um, but we've been in full-time pursuit of this for about a year and a half. Uh, we've got, uh, an equivalent of about five people full time on it. Um, so it's fairly small right now. We're actively seeking people that know certain skills and a very, very narrow defined skill set.
1: In 3D uh, printing or in architecture or the combination?
3: Well, it's kind of like the combination of architecture, coding, robotics, hardware. Programming. Don't I worry,
1: mean, Cordell will make you a couple. Yeah, he'll three D print it you specs. some specs. <laughs>
3: <laughs> if you've ever heard of grasshopper, uh, that's uh, something that is a rare skill set that we are looking for. So, um, but the
1: you just can't go to eLance and uh, eLance dot com and find somebody who does that. Mm,
3: uh, <laughs> I doubt it. So.
1: Cordell's writing this down. He's got a, a big network <laughs> now. Um, so that's what you need more. You need more smart brains in the in the group here to uh, help make this into reality. Correct.
3: Uh, we're because well, you see built it in things, your head. Yeah. I bet. Oh no, we've built things. So you built things. Um, um, things. We have uh, our new robotic system. Uh, we it came in in uh, early June, and it took about uh, a. a Several weeks, a uh, couple months really to get it all, all tooled up and ready to go. Uh, and then we began producing things about, I guess, four weeks ago um, for Gig Tank. Mm-hmm. And so we've made uh, several walls, uh, some of which are seven feet tall, uh, wow. and then other pieces that are more like uh, mock ups for the whole wall assembly and what that can look like. Uh, and then some other pieces that we're doing. Um, just to see shape-wise here's here's what you can do and Did you
1: have to actually build your own 3d printing machine
3: that's correct uh, so we developed the hardware we've developed the heart the software the algorithm and so from a, a CAD file uh, from a designer what we can do is it creates both the geometry of that matrix and the robotic code uh, from from that CAD model and so from any really CAD model that a designer or an architect uses, we can translate that into uh, this 3d printed matrix uh, that we, we produce. So right now what we're really, really excited about is uh, we were invited to be a part of the museum of design in Atlanta, uh, which is right across the street from the high museum Right uh, there and an exhibit on 3d printing will be opening up in about three weeks. And, Actually, today we will start producing uh, a piece that will be 19 feet tall. Um, and it's, we're working with a designer that did the 9-11 memorial for the Pentagon, wow. um, Keith Caseman. And we've been going back and forth with him, kind of refining the design to get it to something that we can uh, construct. Uh, and so we'll be beginning to produce that. And then in about three weeks, that exhibit will open up in Atlanta uh, which we're very excited about that because that'll be the largest thing that we had built uh, to date, and
1: and then um, you also are reaching out to designers. That's right? correct. You have yes. a competition.
3: Um, well, right now we've had about six projects, uh, and we've got since demo day we've had a uh, pretty good number that have come on board. Uh, we're up to twenty projects uh, in the last three weeks Uh, most of those are leads right now so Mm -hmm. it's not something that's finalized um, on the scope but uh, yes we are also sponsoring a design competition for uh, the first 3d printed the first design competition for a 3d printed home using our cellular fabrication uh, technology
1: so you've coined that phrase cellular fabrication
3: that's correct Uh, or cfab CFAB, um, of course, uh, yeah, you have to
1: shorten it. <laughs> yes, Makes of it cool. course. <laughs> uh,
3: and so we've uh, we'll be sponsoring that design competition, and it's similar to what uh, Local Motors did with uh, Oak Ridge National Labs last year for the first 3D printed car. Uh, they had 206 designs that were submitted for the one that they actually constructed, and uh, there's a lot more architects in the world than there are car designers and right so we're uh, we've
1: that's so, the so you're going out to the architects and then you are um, offering this uh, it's an award of
3: it's a $10,000 dollar design award uh, that we'll be uh, giving to the winning designer uh, and then over the in 2016 we will actually construct uh, that house. whatever
1: the winning uh, entry is that's correct all right. Well, uh, if somebody wants to learn more, website for you guys?
3: is branch.technology.
1: Branch.technology, not .com. It's just branch.technology.
3: .technology. And so uh, you can put www.branch.technology, uh, and, and you can find us.
1: All right. Well, that's Platt Boyd. Thank you so much for being part of the show today.
3: Okay. Thank you.
1: All right. This is Lee Cantor. We are wrapping up this episode of Chattanooga Business Radio.